בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, always good to be in Miami, ברוך השם, the group with the special סייעתא דשמיא. So today we're going to talk a few things, continue פרקי אבות series 65, but also connected to יום כיפור, only a couple days away, the last chance, in essence, to get השם to judge us favorably. Uh, but in general, also, the, the world that we find ourselves in is continuing to evolve, continuing to uh, show us that time is running out one way or another. Whether you believe in the end of days or not, Hashem is making it pretty apparent that we're there. Uh, how much time, all, you know, spe- specifying how much time everyone has and things like that is not our business. But uh, everyone knows that the world is heating up. And judgment already began. So, uh, as usual as we do here, uh, say uh, the list of Refua Shlema. Uh, Refua Shlema to, uh, the issue will be Refua Shlema also to Michel Koto, uh, no, Michael Koto, uh, Ampar Balufe, Reuven Joseph Ben Rivka, Sara Lea Batsara, Gladys Nunez, Idima Guerrero, Josefina Matos, Luardes Rensoli, Yoshua Mikael Ben Hadassa, uh, Nancy Devesa, Patricia Valmana, Michelle Valmana, Sonia Suarez, uh, Nicole Valmana, Augustine Hernandez, Jorge Hernandez, Isabel Betancourt, Liliana Antebonia, Gilberto Meneses, Jacqueline Rojas, Roger Prado, Yedaya Garcia, Pablo Lorenzo, Miriam Batsara, uh, Rabbi Elon Ben Anet Miriam, if you're referring to Rabbi Elon Nava, uh, I think he's okay now. He's been okay for a long time, just so you know. Uh, uh, Jocelyn Morajon, Ada Vasquez, Anid Vasquez, uh, Suncha Vasquez, Cantor Bob Resnick, Sara Gutierrez, Diego Hernandez, Lilian Hariz, uh, Jacqueline Rojas, Dalia Romero, Lindsay Meesters, Patricia Valmana and Emily Valmana. I think we've read both Emily and Patricia Valmana before, and also Rojas also, so they all get double. So if ever anyone complains, it's your fault that they also want double. Uh, and uh, also Yuda Ben Dvora. Uh, may Hashem give all of them a fwash lemah, a nefesh, a goof. May Hashem have mercy on all of us. I, uh, last night... I said in the uh, shul, the shul was Ilui Nishmat, Miriam, but Avram and but Dvora, who is my next door neighbor, Shem uh, 23, 24 years old, she uh, she died on uh, Rosh Hashanah, second day of Rosh Hashanah, and uh, it shows us that Hashem. His judgment is different than the judgment we think. We think that judgment is going to come maybe if the Mashiach comes tomorrow, the next day, next year, whenever he comes, maybe judgment is going to be then. It says it in Torah. The Mashiach, one of his main jobs is going to be to judge. Judge the wicked, judge the righteous, but not judge like he's going to listen to our cases and say, no, what'd you do, what'd you do, what'd you do? No, I don't, I'm not sure. Are you sure you have proof? He's not going to do that. 
Hashem told the Prophet that the Mashiach is going to be able to smell the Yirat Shamayim of a person and judge him based on that. What does it mean, smell the Yirat Shamayim? What is the Yirat Shamayim of a certain smell? Meaning he's going to give him a certain level of Ruach HaKodesh, a divine power, that he's going to be able to see everything that you've ever done on the spot, without you saying anything. You have to say anything. In essence, the same thing that they have in Shamaim, in the Bedin of Shamaim, someone after 120 goes to Shamaim. They don't ask him to talk so he could uh, have a chance to lie. What happens is they show him a movie. They show him a movie of his entire life, every single second. And the Sfarim HaKadoshim say that there's actually a Malach that is designated for every person that monitors every second of his time. Now every second, you think every second, you're thinking, yeah, he's here once in a while. Or he's here every few hours, he looks in. No, no, no. Mamash and Shamaim, the sages explain that there's actually a malach right next to each one of us that writes what you do every second. And this is part of Omek Adin. This is part of the depth of judgment that's beyond the comprehension of man. Where we don't really understand how deep the judgment is. When someone gets to Shamaim, this Malach comes and testifies. They say, okay, so what do you do in this second? What do you do in the second after? Oh, you ate an apple. What do you do in the second after? He chewed it. What do you do in the second after? He looked at the girl. Oh, he looked at the girl in the third second. What do you do the second after? We're not talking about five hours, five years. No, no. Second. Second by second by second. The Vilna Gaon, Alava Shalom, told this to his students. He knew what was happening in Shemaim. One of his students heard this, passed out, collapsed from fear. Even the most righteous person on earth, actually if he understands this, someone understands what this means. Somebody's next to you all day, he writes down what you do all day. Someone that understands this, if he's not scared, he's not human. Can anyone here, can anyone here happily say, you know what, I'm more than happy to show the whole world what I think. Just what's in my mind for one day. Not what you do. Forget about what you do. What's in your mind for one day? You show, like, you know, in uh, Broadway in New York, they have big screens. They have big screens where they have the, uh, the, 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 the Minaga Goim, that they actually have this New Year celebration and everything. In that area, there's big screens all over the buildings. TVs, giant TVs, huge. Is anyone here willing to say, you know what? My screen in Shemaim, put it on Broadway. Let the whole world see what I think. Think. For one day, not your whole life. Not 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. One day. How about one hour? One hour. Show the whole world what you think for one hour. The amount of embarrassment that each one of us would experience for what we think. We'd want to bury ourselves. Make a funeral. on ourselves. Kaddish and ourselves, bury ourselves already from the stupidity that goes in our mind. 
there's a pasuk in Teilim, a very famous, Ele Barechev, Ele Basusim, Vanachnu B'Shem Hashem. David HaMelech says, some go with their uh, automobile, their, their um, not automobiles, their chariots, some go with their horses, but us, we go with the name of God. It's referring to war, where other people are using, other nations are relying on their might, on their weapons, on their money, and so on, but Am Yisrael only relies on Hashem. That's in essence the Pshat. But Rav Galinsky, Allah Shalom, was a major powerhouse speaker, Talmid Chacham. He was tiny. Tiny person, must be tiny. Tiny, tiny little person. But powerhouse. He would stand on a table and give speech to 500, 1,000 people. And at the end, there was no such thing as not doing tshuva after you hear his life. After you hear what he says. Chidushim, non-stop. You read his bio, Smamash, every page, you do tshuva. What he experienced, the amount of suffering he went through in his life, but never for a moment, never for a moment, second-guessed the will of Hashem. Why? Never asked why Hashem is doing this. Never asked, the, the word why Hashem, those two words, never, never together. Never. So, he was a one of the top Musar teachers in recent generations. Following the lineage of Novardok, which was one of the students, the Sabami Novardok was one of the students of Rabbi Israel Misanat, the one that I tell you about all the time. Sabami Novardok was a student, and Yeshivat, and he actually opened all the yeshivot all over Europe, all over Russia. In essence, most of the yeshivot in the world today, most of them, are thanks to him. Mamash put life back into the Torah world. So Rav Galinsky, one of the fruits, used to say, everything has musar in it. He says, this pasuk, where we talk about other nations are relying on their money, on their chariots, on their horses, we rely on Hashem. He says, there's also other musar that we can learn from it. Because other people, they get to another place through their chariot, through their automobiles. Or they get to other places on their horses. We get to another place just by mentioning God. Initially, you're thinking, oh, wow, this is a compliment to Amisai. He goes, no, no, it's not a compliment. They go to a place, they have to go into a car, they go to a place. They go on a horse, they go to a place. We, as soon as we say Hashem in our tefillah, already we're thinking about shtuyot. Already we're thinking about nonsense. As soon as you go, as soon as the Bet Knesset opens up, we're supposed to say, to honor Hashem's name. As soon as this tefillah Shmona Yisra, we're supposed to be quiet. What is wait quiet? Why? Because Melech HaKavod is here. Melech HaKavod is here. He's here. He's right next to you. Right now, what do we do? We're thinking about the vacation to Tahiti I want to go to. We're thinking about the stock market. We're thinking about, oh, did she look at me? Oh, did he look at me? Oh, should I get a raise? Oh, maybe I'm overworking. Oh, maybe I'm going to eat pizza tonight. 
all the shtuyot that you've collected the entire day, when do you think about it? Right there. Melech HaKavot showed up, that's when you think about it. He says, Am Yisrael, sometimes when you're not glued to Hashem, you don't need to go into an automobile to go somewhere. Just say the name of Hashem, already shtuyot come into your head. Instead of thinking of Hashem, instead of thinking, Melech HaKavot is here, Yom Kippur is here, Rosh Shana is here. What are we thinking about? Oh, do you think they like my shirt? Do you think they noticed that I have a new car? I parked it right in the front. You know, the... Yavim Noraim, especially Yom Kippur, is a time where we're supposed to do tshuva. Unfortunately, sometimes people get it opposite. It's when they start to... They figure that, oh yeah, I'm going to wear white... And that's already my tshuva. So from now on, I can start collecting sins. So already they get to Bet Knesset, collecting sins. Before they even said, I'm sorry, they're already collecting sins. They don't learn the halachot. They don't learn anything. So what do they do? They come for a show and tell. So you get a guy who comes to Bet Knesset, he goes, oh, nice shoes. He goes, yeah, yeah, I bought them especially for the Chag. It's like, yeah, the problem is that this specific Chag, you're not allowed to wear leather shoes. So you bought... You okay? You bought these leather shoes for the Chag, but you're not allowed to wear them for the Chag. No, if, if there's something, stop it. I'll, uh... Okay? Seven? Yeah, I probably saw something small that... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, why don't you check it? Check so everything behind. It's okay, it's okay. No, I don't want anyone else to be scared. So let's say whatever it is, take care of it, and uh, let's stop it. Stop the shame. Okay. So, by the way, it's a uh, very scary little creature. You know, some people... Uh, have this thing called arachnophobia. And arachnophobia is a phobia of spiders. Some people have a phobia of heights. Some people have a phobia of small spaces. Small spaces. Now a phobia, you should know, a phobia is not something that's rational. It has nothing to do with rational. It has nothing to do with the the way if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. A phobia is in essence a state of mind where it's, uh, if you could take care of it for the girls, it will be great. Uh, it's a state of mind that, uh, yeah, if, it's a little, if you could take care of it, it will be better. Help them out. Help them out. It's a state of mind that uh, once you're in that space. Let's say, for example, somebody that has a, is scared of small spaces. Once you put them in a small space, let's say, for example, like an elevator, and two other people, three other people are in the elevator, all bets are off. They can't think clearly. They can't breathe. They can't see. They, nothing. Nothing makes sense. It has nothing to do with making sense. And... What's the lesson here? Everything has to be connected to Torah. Now, someone that learns 
Musar, they know that one of the most important thing, one of the most important things to do is to care about other people. Not just about yourself. Can't be selfish in the world. All of Israel are accountable for each other. What does that mean, accountable for each other? What, I have to pay his bills? What does it mean, accountable for each other? I have to find him a lawyer when he got into trouble? What does it mean, accountable for each other? It means you have to care. You have to care how he feels. Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, one day they see that he was late to Beknesset in the morning. Rabbi Yisrael Misalant was never late. See, Kvod Arab is late. We have something to learn here. What happened to Kvod Arab is late. So after Tfilah, he said, Kvod Arab, Lamdeni, teach us. Of course, the rabbi knew. Because yet today, I was a little late to Tfilah because on the way to the Beknesset, I saw that one of the shingles on top of the roofs of the building next door to me not my building, not my house. The neighbor, one of the shingles, was flipping, you know, was, was, was loose, was making noise. And I knew it's only a matter of time either before it breaks and falls off, or it's just going to make a lot of noise and wake up people and steal their sleep. So I climbed the roof and I fixed it. Stopped his life, delayed Bitkneset. Why? To go fix a roof for a neighbor. Because chash v'shalom, they're going to lose 5, 10, 20 minutes of sleep. That's musar. That's caring about other people. People think musar is, is, is mean, it's rebuke, it's bad. No, musar means you care. That's why you tell people. The entire book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Dvarim, that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, the last book of the five books of Moses, was in essence his journal of everything that happened. Hashem says, make this the fifth book of the Torah. It was four books that God said. Book number five was Moshe Rabbeinu's journal. What's his fifth book? It's complete rebuke of the people. From beginning to end, he rebukes the people you sinned against God. If you sin again, He's going to destroy you. If you do this, He's going to punish you. If you do this, how can you do this to Him? He did so much for you. Non-stop rebuke. This parasha, Azinu, He calls them stupid. He said, you stupid people. You're going against the hand that feeds you. You're going against the Creator. He gave you so much. He gave you eyes. He gave you ears. He gives you legs. He gives you everything. And you're going against Him. Only someone stupid would do such a thing. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. What, because he didn't like them? No. Not because he didn't like him, he wrote this. He said it because he loves them. He said it to protect them. So, when someone understands this, and they know that another person has a phobia, they can't think Oh, I can fix this. You can't fix a phobia. Only Hashem can fix a phobia. Because a phobia has nothing to do with being scared. Like if somebody could be, I don't know, scared of snakes. Or scared of anything. Scared of lions. Lions, you're scared of lions. But that's that's just a fear. That's a natural fear. 
a phobia is not something natural. A phobia is something that gets you to such an extent where you can't even hear the word. The word. Forget, see the thing. The word, you can't hear it. So if you, if your husband, your wife, your child, your friend, your neighbor, another person in your nation that you know, another employee, you know that they have a fear of something, it's very important for you, for you, not for them, for you to make sure they're never in a position where they're going to have this phobia attack. Why? Because to them, it's mamash pikuach nefesh. It's mamash pikuach nefesh situation. So, marketing companies, if they were smart, if these marketing companies, advertising companies, if they learned Musar, they would know that the number one thing that causes them to lose business without anyone being able to track it, because anything you do, you see, you can track things. People bought this detergent because of this. People sold this car because of this. You can track things, but there's one thing you can't track. What can't you track? Why people ran away from you and never even gave you a complaint. They're not going to say anything. Why? Because you put something in the ad that scared certain types of people. So sometimes these foolish marketing companies, they put a commercial with something that's Common, a common phobia, for example, a snake. They put in the advertising a picture of a snake, and people have phobias of snakes. Or they put pictures of certain things that their people have phobias about it. And I know from experience of, of dealing with a few people that have phobias that um, it's, uh, it's mamash, something that you have to be very conscious of. Mm-hmm. So never try to tell a person, no, no, relax, relax. No, no, you relax. And go take care of the problem, fix it, and then they'll go back to life. This is not this is not like your kid is scared of going on a bicycle for the first time. So it's important to know. That's why I don't know whether it was a phobia or not, and it's important to take care of the problem regardless of what you know. And you can see we learn Musa from it. We learn Torah from it. Hashem. See, even the car heard it and said it. Can I uh, can I have a cup, please, if you don't mind? God. Yes, okay, so let's, before we continue, let's uh, give me some questions. Yeah, uh, um, when you were uh, uh, saying about the, 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 the smell of the Oashamayim, that they take notice of everything, okay. that uh, we're talking about that where they take notice of the Sefer Hasikaron? It's in the Sefer Hasikaron? Well, that's in Shemaim. That's in Shemaim. The Sefer Hasikaron is in Shemaim. Um, the Mashiach is here. Okay. Mashiach is down here so in this world. The note they are taking... It's not in the Sephora, it's No, it is, but I'm saying the Mashiach is not going to need the Sephora Zikon. He's going to be able to look yeah, and I mean, see everything notes, on the spot. The note that I'm taking every second is in the Sephora Ken, 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 Ken. Chazak Abol. Oh, Chazak Abol. Shakoni was born. Okay. Okay, no, so Ken, 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 Ken. okay. No, so what do we have? Uh, questions today or we continue? you have some questions for me today? Usually you have a few more questions. One, one, one strike. Questions? Maybe Danielle has a uh, question. Anyone else? Uh, am I sideways on uh, on Facebook again on today? Baruch Hashem. Okay. Shada. Baruch Hashem. Satan took a break today. Baruch Hashem. Okay. I'm sure he has other people to mess with. 
Uh, okay, so today everybody sees me straight. It's already, it's already, uh, it's already a big thing. So, to uh, go back to um, what we learned from Rav Galinsky, right now we have a situation where the Bet Knesset is a place where most people don't realize that it's a mini Bet Hamikdash. Doesn't matter if it's a fancy Bet Knesset. Big one, it's a small one. If it has one minyan or five hundred minyan, it doesn't make a difference. Each bet knesset is a mini bet hamikdash. So when you come to the bet knesset and you're talking about things that are mundane, that are not divrei Torah, that's not tefillah, you are doing not only something wrong, but you're doing something wrong in the face of your Creator. So, on Yom Kippur, many people that don't come to Bikkness the whole year come. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't realize that the point of Bikkness is to come to Hashem and plead with Him. On Yom Kippur specifically, the key is to say, I'm sorry. But not, I'm sorry, and then give me a million dollars. I'm sorry, whereas like, Begging Hashem to give us another day to live, another week to live, another month to live, another year to live. Begging Hashem. So what's the, what are some of the things that are going to destroy a prayer? There are a few things that can destroy a prayer. A person comes to Beknesset completely unprepared and he doesn't know that he's not allowed to wear leather shoes and such. So he says, I bought these shoes specially for the Chag. Because you didn't buy it for the Chag, you bought it to show off. Because obviously, if you knew anything about the Chag, you knew that you're not allowed to wear these leather shoes. Or sometimes you see these women wear this fancy dress, but it only covers half the body. It doesn't cover the whole body, it covers half the body, sometimes even less. Say, so, oh, I bought this dress especially for the Chag. He says, if you cared about the Chag, you'd stay home. With such a dress, I'm not even sure if you're allowed to wear it to go to sleep. Forget about going to the house of God. Or sometimes you see people, they come to the Bekneset, but the whole time, all they're doing is talking to people. They're just talking to each other. Oh, so would you bought that real estate? You bought that house? What do you think of that investment? What do you think of the stock market? Hey, how's business doing? How's the... The whole time this tefillah, anyone that knows anything about Yom Kippur is crying his eyes out. But this guy's talking about business. Oh, what about... You know what? Why don't we buy the aliyah together? We'll be partners. No, it usually goes for 15000 So instead of one of us shelling out 15000 20000 by ourselves, let's be partners. Next thing you know, it's five people partnering up on aliyah. It's like a business deal. But they forgot what the Aliyah is about, Bichlal. They forgot that what the Aliyah is about. No, it's Parnassah. Yeah, but do you know what David Melech says in that Aliyah? If you knew what David Melech is saying in that prayer of Parnassah, if you understood who David Melech was, you'd realize that just in the beginning of Tehillim, Beginning of Tehillim, he starts off by saying, Asher Adam, the, 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 the most 
praiseworthy person is a person that didn't hang out with losers, with people that went against God. So you that you're talking in the middle of prayer, he's talking about you. You the Mechalel Shabbat, he's talking about you. So you're buying the Aliyah of David Melech, he's saying about you the whole time in, on in Kalim, 150 Kalim. Every single time he says, punish the Rishaim, punish the ones that are going against you. Why? Because David Melech says same thing like Moshe Rabenu. He says, God gave you everything. How can you go against them, you idiot? How can you go against them? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to be David Melech or everybody needs to be Moshe Rabenu. But if you're going to go to a place, you know that there's rules in every place. You go to a court, if you decide, regular court, civil court, if you start talking with your friends, the judge can arrest you. You can't talk to you. You can't even wear a hat in America. You can't wear a hat in a court. If you start talking and the judge hears you, he can arrest you. Or at the very least, they'll throw you out. There's no care in the world of embarrassing you, not embarrassing you. The place of court is not for you to socialize. What makes you think that this court of, 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 of flesh and blood of people, of laws that are based on kfirah, deserves more honor and respect than the house of God? Why? Because God's not going to arrest you? But God can kill you though. You know that. So in this week's parasha, parashat Azinu, God tells you this. He says in chapter 32, verse 39, He says, I am He. See now, I am He. What does it mean, I am He? Says, See now that I, I am He. I'm the one. What does it mean I'm the one? There is no God with me. I don't have any partners. There's no God with me. I put to death and I bring to life. He's reminding you what you didn't know. You read the whole Sefer Torah. You read five books of Moses. You still don't know that God is the one that kills or brings life? He says, maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't get it. So I have to remind you again. Before you talk in Bet Knesset on Yom Kippur, or any day of the year, realize that Melech HaKavod, Hashem Yitbarach, is there. If he's not there, you shouldn't be there. If Hashem Yitbarach is not inside your Bet Knesset, you shouldn't be there either. You should go to a place where Hashem is there. So that means you're talking in Beknesset in front of Melech HaKavod. He's judging you and you're talking in front of him. Oh, what do you think of the business deal? Or what do you think of that girl? Or what do you think of this guy? Or oh, that guy's a real loser. Or oh, that... Lashon in Beknesset in front of Melech HaKavod. You're committing a crime in front of Melech HaKavod. The Chafetz Chaim says, logically, logically, Listening and believing Lashon Ara is stupid. It says, forget laws, it's a big sin, it doesn't... Forget about that. Just logically believe. Someone says to you Lashon Ara about someone. Hey, so-and-so said 
you are this and this. Like someone came to me and said, hey, so-and-so said that this friend of yours said you are this, this, and this. Believing a person like this, the Chafetz Chaim says, is irrational. doesn't make any sense at all. doesn't make any sense at all. Why? He says, the person that's telling you Lashonara about somebody else is committing a crime in front of your face by saying Lashonara. He's committing a crime against Hashem in front of your face to you. He's, tell, he's saying Lashonara about somebody else and you're witnessing this because he's saying it to you. And you're going to take his testimony over the guy that's innocent, didn't do anything. You don't know if he said it, you don't know if he didn't say it, but until you hear him, until you see him say what he said, he's innocent. So you're taking the word of a criminal over someone that's innocent. So he says, Chafetz Chaim says, you don't need to be a big religious person to know not to listen to Lashon Hara. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you take the testimony of a criminal? But we add to this. If we're going to talk in Bet Knesset on Yom Kippur, why should Hashem listen to criminals? You're committing a crime in front of him. Talking Lashonara about this one. Talking Lashonara about that one. Talking about business during the holiday. You're not allowed to talk about business. You're committing a crime in front of him and you're saying, I'm sorry. That kind of sorry, you should stay home. Stay home. Don't, don't go to Bekinah. Stay home. It's better. Why? Maybe somebody else can actually pray without you. So Shemit Bach says, I am he. I'm the one. I'm the one that puts to death. In case you didn't get it by now, I'm the one that puts to death. Whoever died, I'm the one that decided. No one dies in this world without me saying, it's time. It's time. Has to have my approval. I'm also the one that brings to life. No one ever gives birth in this world without me saying, that's it. It's time. Bring this neshama to the world. None of the, I am, only, I am the only one, no partners. He says, I have no partners. I struck down and I will heal. I'm the one when there's a gzerah, hurricanes, wars, plagues, etc. Shem says, let's not fool ourselves. There's no one else other than me. Where was God in the Holocaust? He says right here. I struck down. It's me. I did it. Where was God during the hurricane? Me. I wrote it. I did it. He right here. I struck down. Me. I did it. What about the miracle that happened with the hurricane last second? Removed itself from certain people's houses. Removed itself from certain Jewish communities. Certain people were saved. Says, oh, that's me too. I will heal. Miracles, no such thing as nature. I am nature. Let's not fool ourselves and think, oh, he's lucky. Oh, he has luck. He has mazal. There's no mazal. Shem says, I'm the one. I am he. I'm, I the one, I'm the one that heals. And there is no rescuer from my hand. So he says in the Pasuk, there is no rescuer from my hand. Hashem 
He says, once I decide, I decide. There's nothing you can do about it. We have Yom Kippur in front of us. We didn't do that good on Rosh Hashanah. No one could be certain that Rosh Hashanah, they were great. No one. Why? We did sin sometimes like a cow, we sacrificed a chicken. We did sins that we have to pray from here until the end of the world, we prayed for a few hours. And even the few hours, we weren't really thinking about the prayer all the time, we were thinking about a few other things sometimes. We were thinking about, did I leave the car lights on in the car outside? That's your middle of prayer. Tell me somebody here never thought about the car in the middle of prayer. Or their job, or their daughter, or their son, or their friend, or what this guy said, or what this guy looks like, or what she said, or how come she's wearing this, or how come she's wearing that, and why did he say this, and why is he looking at me? You tell me all of you, and no one else? I'm the only one that thinks Stuyot in their head once in a while. So, we had a day full of prayers, but the prayers weren't always uh, the greatest. Hashem says, I know. I'm he. I know that too. So you have Yom Kippur. So with Yom Kippur, Rabotai, Yom Kippur, please, be quiet and focus on prayer. Focus on talking to God. It's your last chance. Now, if you notice in Asarayim et we add a few prayers. I think the, the thing went sideways, right? It went sideways? <laughs> See, the, the lecture started getting good, so Satan had to go on, had to, had to change. See? Shrechem, you're watching a lecture live. Anyone doesn't believe in Yetzirah, live. Live Yetzirah. You don't have to read Torah books to believe in Yetzirah. You just watch the lecture five minutes later. It gets good. Yetzirah shows up. Okay, let's see. I'm going to... Rotate your phone. Okay. No? No? I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. I can't really spend that much time on this because I don't want to lose the train of thought. Uh, Try this once. Is it working now? Still sideways? Still sideways? Good. Something like that. Yeah, center, center. They see me straight, it's enough. This is uh, it's already. Uh, the regular, the, the nice uh, Hollywood version is going to be on the camera. As the, but this one, okay, is good. All right. So, Baruch Hashem, we have another attendant. We thought that Yetzirah is busy somewhere else. He came to watch the lecture. You know, the um, Al-Sheikh, Rabbi Shalom, you give lectures. All the Gdoleado would come to listen to his lectures. So, the I believe it was the Arizal came to one of the lectures, and the whole time he's laughing in the back of the room while the one of the other Gdoleado is giving a lecture, 
about the different ways that Lavan Rasha, in his wickedness, changed the deal with Yaakov Avinu. He says the uh, the Mefarshim, the commentators say that Lavan changed the deal one hundred times, one hundred times he changed the deal. He said, "You get the white sheep, okay? I'll get the white sheep." All of a sudden, no, no, you get the. I meant the black sheep, okay? I got the black sheep. No, no, not the black sheep, the one with the stripes, okay? The one with the stripes. No, I didn't mean the stripes. I meant the white stripes that were black stripes, on the white sheep. Okay, fine, I'll get the white. No, no, I didn't mean the black stripes. I meant the gray stripes and the red stripes. And he changed the deal 100 times. Imagine somebody signs a deal with you, but he changes the deal after 100 times. So is it still still opposite or we changed? So Yitzhara, okay, Yitzhara, I see you just say, okay, you're relaxing. Okay, so relax, watch the lecture. Watch the lecture. Sadly, he wants to watch the lecture. Watch the lecture. So... But the whole time, the Arizal is laughing. So after the, after the lecture, the Rav goes to the, for the Rav, Lamdeni, teach me, why, why are you laughing the whole time that uh, I'm saying Divrei Torah? What was so funny? He says, oh, you are in such a level that when you speak, you speak, you have audience that you can't see, maybe. You see everyone here, the rabbis, Small Talmidim, big Talmidim, everyone you see. But there's certain people that you can't see. There's angels that come and attend your shurim. Now, Riza was able to see them. He says, but sometimes there's additional guests. They bring some people with them. Today, they brought Lavan. They heard that you're doing a lecture about Lavan. They brought Lavan from Geinom. They took Lavan from Geinom. He said, come, no. We want to see if it's all true. And every time... You said, oh, he changed the deal. And he went against Yaakov Avinu like this. Lavan, Lavan started crying. Oh, yeah, I did that too. So I was laughing every time. They're slapping him in the head like he went against Yaakov Avinu. You went against Yaakov Avinu. Every time. So I'm laughing how they're punishing this guy. Because he went against Yaakov Avinu. You're giving a lecture. Everyone's enjoying it. I'm laughing because I see this Rasha being getting his punishment. Sometimes people that come to the lecture, you can't see them. So, the Asarai Metshuva preparation time, 10 days of preparation between Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. It's 10 days, last opportunity for us to do Tshuva, to prepare ourselves for the appeal, final judgment. We add certain things to the prayer. We say at the end of a, um, not the end, at the beginning of Tefillat uh, Shemona three times a day, and also in other places, Zachrenu lechaim, melech hafetz bechaim, katvenu besefer chaim, lemaancha Elohim chaim. It says, remember us for life, king who desires life, Inscribe us in the book of life for your sake, the living God. So remember us for life. We can understand. Judge us favorably. Let us live another year. Please. The king who desires life. What does it mean, desires life? He says in the Psukim, in the Torah, he says, I give you 
the good and the life, the bad and the death. And you shall choose life. Meaning, if you do my mitzvot, you'll have eternal life. Not just this life, not just this one year. You'll have eternity. So you desire life, meaning you desire for us to make the right decision to do your will. Why? Because it's for our own best interest. So your desire is our best interest. So we understand, Chafetz Chaim. Ketvenu besefer Chaim. Inscribe us in the book of life. The book of life you just mentioned a few moments ago. Please, Hashem. Please. Give us a chance. I know there's two books. There's book, Hashem Elachem. There's book of life. Please, book of life. Give us another chance. I know we're not, we may messed up a little bit. We look where we weren't supposed to look. We did what we weren't supposed to do. I know. We were not, I'm not perfect. I know. But give me another chance, Hashem. And we say this multiple times. But then we say something. I learned from Rabbi Ephraim that really, Mamash, is, doesn't make sense. Unless you learn it. Says, For your sake. Meaning, don't do it for us. Do it for your sake. Like, save our life for yourself. Wait, wait. You're talking about the same God, right? Talking about Hashem Barach, the only real God, the only God. You're saying, do it for Him? Do it for Himself? What is He need? He needs us? Hashem needs us? He doesn't need us. He's perfect. What does it mean, do it for yourself? And we mention this many times. Many times during the tefillah. On Rosh Hashanah. On Yom Kippur. Hashem, if you don't do it for us, do it for yourself. What does it mean, do it for yourself? If not for us, for you. So, David Melech also had an answer for this too. David Melech was Kodesh Kodeshim. And he wrote many Tehidim, many songs to Hashem Barach. And this is just one of them. You can find this similar things in many other Tehidim. This is just one of them I was reading today. And Tehidim 115. Tehidim 115. It says, Lo lanu Hashem lo lanu. Not for our sake, Hashem. Not for our sake. This is actually a prayer that we say. Ki l'shimcha ten kavod al chazdecha al amitecha. But for your name's sake, give glory. For your kindness and for your truth. So David and Melech are saying the same thing. Don't do it for us. Do it for you. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. Whatever He pleases, He does. David Miller says, we can't tell you what to do. You do whatever you want. To tell you, save us, we don't even have the merit. Do it for you. Do it for your honor. Do it for your name. Why do it for his name? What does he need us to do it for his name? 
the last verse of the Tehillim, last two verses of the Tehillim, and then talks about how other nations are idol worshippers. Their idols are silver, gold, handiwork of man. Their mouth cannot speak. Their eyes cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have a nose, but they cannot smell. Their hands, they cannot feel. Their feet, they cannot walk. Meaning people make idols that are made of nothing. They make the idol, then they pray to him. They take clay. They mold it into some weird-looking guy that looks like he's on Tisha B'Av. And they pray to him. You just made him, though. So the thing, the, the creator of the creation became the creation? Or some guy died. No one actually has any proof of this. But nonetheless, some guy died and somebody said, yeah, yeah, he died and therefore everything's good now. I can do whatever I want. There's no rules. No rules. All bets are off. He says they make idols from nothing. These idols can't see, they can't hear, they can't do nothing. And this is a warning to all of those idol worshippers, whether they're worshipping Buddha or they're worshipping J.C. Penny. He says, those who make them should become like them. Whoever trusts in them Meaning, whoever made these idols, whether it's the guy that's making the actual statue of the Buddha, or the guy that's preaching the word of J.C. Penny that they think is the word of J.C. Penny, he says he's going to become like him. And those that trust in him, those that follow this false teaching, this messianic teaching, this all this idol worship teaching, they're also in the same place. They're also going to be like them. What does it mean going to be like them? In Rishit Chochmah, it talks about some of the details of what happens in Geinom. In the Gemara, Masechet Sota, Masechet Sanhedrin, and also Masechet Gitin. Several different places it talks about what happens to these idol worshippers, specifically talking about J.C. Penny. He says he's swimming laps in boiling feces. He says the ones that follow this false teaching will end up just like him. Why? You're going against God. So first David Melech says, don't do it for us, do it for your own name. Then he talks about how everybody else is terrible. I know we're not good enough, but everybody else is even worse. They're idol worshippers. He says, but us Israel, we trust in Hashem. And then he says in verse 11, you who fear Hashem, you also trust Hashem. He will bless those who fear Hashem, the small as well as the great. Whether you're a small little believer or you're a big tzaddik, you have, you have basic minimum level of Yerat Shemaim. David HaMelech says, you're under this protection, this umbrella, where instead of being afraid of some guy that died 2,000 years ago, or the god of money that uh, the Indians made, or your boss, or this or that, you're afraid of God. Not talking about afraid of the highest level, I'm talking about the basic level fear. The basic level Yerat Shemaim. You live your life, well, basic level Yerat Shemaim, David Amir says, 
You're part of Am Yisrael. You're part of this, you're under this umbrella where you're going to be okay. Why? Why are you going to be okay? He says in verse 17, the dead cannot praise God, nor can any descend into silence. But we will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. He says in essence, Lo amitim duma. He says, Hashem, I know we're not the greatest. I know we're not the greatest. But we're the only ones that are actually praising you. We're the only ones that are praising you, Hashem. Okay, so the Shabbat that I keep, I don't know all the halachot. I mess up here and there. Okay, the kosher, it's, sometimes I mess up, sometimes I put, I make a little mistakes here and there. My midot are not always great. Sometimes I get upset. Sometimes I don't have a munah. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I'm stingy. Sometimes I, you know, I, I, I'm wasteful. I'm not perfect. But I'm still part of the people that fear you, that praise you. I'm the only ones. Everyone else, they praise them. God money, Jesus, uh, Buddha, Muhammad, Jahannam, whatever, they're praising all this stuff. We're the only ones that praise you. What benefit is it to you to destroy us too? So if you're not going to do it for us, because we don't have enough merit, do it for yourself. What does it mean, do it for yourself? Because no one else will praise you if not us. If it's not us, no one else will praise you. In the Gemara Masech Chagiga, it says a person needs to know there's only one reason that he came to the world. The ultimate purpose of life summed up into one thing. Of course, there's branches, there's different things, but he says in the Gemara, it's really one tachlis, one bottom line point of why you were created. Praise God. But not praise God because He gave you good things. He gave you a Ferrari, so oh, thank you God. Not praise God because the penny stock you bought turned into Amazon. And you became a billionaire. No, no, no. Sanctify His name and every opportunity you have to such an extent that the Gemara says, if you've spent the day without finding a way to praise Hashem, to do Kiddush Hashem for one day. We're not talking about a lifetime or a week or a month. One day you spent the day and you didn't find a way to sanctify Hashem's name. It was better off you weren't born. Why? There's no point to you. The only reason you were created was to do it. You didn't do it. What's the point? He doesn't need you anyway. So here in Asarayim et on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, we keep saying, Leman Cha Hashem, Leman Cha, for you, for you, for you. What do you mean for you? For you is in essence, we are admitting and accepting the responsibility to crown God over ourselves. You know, it's, I heard from Rav Nisim again, Allah Shalom, he says, I believe he, uh, it's also a teaching of one of the sages, one of his rabbis, and before that it's an old teaching, but I heard it from him. And he says, 
One of the stupidest things, one of the silliest things, one of the most foolish things that a person can possibly do is to crown God on everyone else except himself. Oh, he's king of the world, don't worry, he's going to take care of you. You know, every time other people have problems, what do we tell them? No, you should have emunah, you should have emunah, don't worry, Hashem knows. Okay, Hashem knows, he gave me, you a, he gave you an opportunity to be the one that helps me. No, don't worry, Hashem's going to provide you upon a side. Yeah, yeah, you can be it. Maybe you can lend me a few hundred dollars. You know, it's, 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 no, no, don't worry, Hashem's going to send you, Hashem's going to send you. Yeah, he sends you. No, 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 Hashem, don't worry, you should have a munah, you should have a munah. Other people have problems, we tell them you should have a munah. We have, we have problems. Oh, why Hashem? Why? Why are you doing this to me? Like you're tzaddik yisodalam, like you don't deserve any tikkunim. Why Hashem? Everybody else has to have a munah except you. You say blessings every day. Hashem, elokeinu melech haolam. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the world. You do, you, every time you do a blessing, you're saying, King of the world, King, Melech HaOlam, Melech HaOlam, except me. Why? Because everybody else has to have emunah. Everybody else has to do what Hashem says. But you, not so much. The Gemara says in uh, Masechet Shabbat, page 119, no person, a person, natural, his natural inclination is not going to see his own flaws. His own flaws. Unless he does cheshbon nefesh on a regular basis where he exerts himself to find the flaws, to look deep down inside and be intellectually honest with himself, to be mamash honest with himself regardless of how painful it is, Natural inclination, he's not going to see any flaws in himself. He's going to see everybody else as cheap, except him. Everybody else is angry and doesn't have emunah, except him. Everybody else is this, everybody else is that, except him. The amount of people that complain about other people that I deal with is mamash hits new highs every day. I had a guy come to me about uh, maybe two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago. And he says, uh, I want to convert to Judaism. I want to convert to Judaism. And I said, okay, no problem. As long as you know what needs to be learned and you make the life changes, I'm more than happy to help you and take you to the Bedin. How much? Free. Just be serious. Don't waste my time. I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it because I'm looking to sanctify Hashem's name. So if someone is serious about God, I'm more than happy to help him do it at the highest level possible. You want to donate? Donate. You don't want to donate? Don't donate. It doesn't make a difference to me. God will send money one way or another. With or without you, God sent money. So far, so good, right? Then he takes the initiative to start telling me about how he's already started the process and talked to other rabbis 
But the rabbis were not really hands-on, and the rabbis did this wrong, and they did that wrong, and they did this wrong, and that wrong, and this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and this guy is not serious. And he gave me a slew of complaints against rabbis. That they wasted, I don't know, a year or two years or three years of his life, and they haven't done this, and they haven't done this, and they haven't done this, and they haven't done this. Now listen, not for nothing. There are many rabbis that are not really fulfilling their job, but it's not everybody. But the guy says what he says, whatever. It doesn't really make a difference to me. It doesn't make a difference. You want to convert? I'll help you. What you experienced, what you didn't experience is irrelevant to me. Like People like to tell me their story of what happened, and this guy said this, and this guy said this. It doesn't make a difference. You ready now? I'll help you now, based on today. You ready? Let's go. What knowledge do you have now? I test them what knowledge they have. Usually they think they have 10 knowledge. They have 2 knowledge. Usually they think that tzaddikim gmurim, they're doing everything. They don't even live in a Jewish neighborhood. Oh, you have to move. Oh, I have to move? Yeah, you can't be a Jew alone in the middle of Dakota. You have to live in a Jewish neighborhood. Oh, okay. Well, what else? You have to eat kosher. Oh, why can't he shrimp anymore? Are you sure? You sure you know what Judaism is, buddy? Like people think that they're a lot more righteous than what they really are. They're doing because they watch a few shurei Torah. They think they're already perfect. So this guy was a little machmir on the complaints. He started complaining. He was blaming the rabbis. This rabbi is this, and this rabbi is this. Okay, whatever. Doesn't make a difference to me. I say, you ready? Let's go. Comes to the shul, sits in the shul. Fine. I have to sleep a little bit. No big deal. It's late at night. A week later, we have a shul. He can't come. Okay, no problem. A week later, he comes to the shul a little late. Okay, good. A week later, again, he misses. So we're 50-50 in a shul. Then, then that continues for a little while, 50-50. Then it goes to 25-75. 25% of the shul, he comes. And it's not like I have a shul every day. Once a week. Once a month, he comes to the shul. Now, I tell them what to, what to read. If I have the book extra, I give it to them for free. If not, I tell them, go buy it. You have a job. You, have, you make money. I'm sure you're not living on the streets. Go buy a book. It's $15, $20, whatever it is. Go buy a book. So tell them to go get this book. I think I even gave them the book. And you figure, okay, if you're serious about converting and you're so pressed on time, you're going to finish the book in a week. You're serious about converting. You want to convert yesterday already. And you're complaining about this rabbi and that rabbi and this rabbi and that rabbi. They always steal your time. Then, in essence, let's say if there's 10 books to, just an example, if there's 10 books to read, you're going to swallow those 10 books in 10 weeks. It shouldn't take you that long. If you're really, really busy, let's double it. 20 weeks. For 10 books. One book. One book. Almost. Almost a year and a half into it, he's still working on it. Tiny little book. And he stopped coming to the lectures altogether. So you see, it's not the rabbis that's the problem. They're just not serious. Some people are just not serious. Some people are just not serious. But he can't see his own flaw. He can't see that it's his own fault. That he's going through conversion. People keep telling me, I've been going through conversion for five years. Okay, what have you been doing? 
And you see, they haven't even started conversion. Forget going through conversion. They haven't started conversion. Why? Because they still live in a non-Jewish neighborhood. They still don't know anything about the mitzvot. They keep kosher. And they go to the Knesset on the holidays. Okay, great. You go to the Knesset on the holidays, you keep kosher. That's not exactly the conversion process yet. You have to make certain life changes. You have to learn certain laws. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to do. So you haven't been going through conversion for five years or ten years. You're just using Judaism as a hobby. Want to go through conversion? It's a much more serious process. But we can't see our own flaws. Unless we learn Musar, which forces us to see our own flaws because it reminds us of our flaws. So, one of the most important things that a person needs to do in a Sarayim et is to realize everything we're asking for, in reality, we don't deserve. We don't deserve. We're asking Hashem, Rachem Aleinu, be merciful on us. We don't deserve it. Bemek, we don't deserve it. Why? The guy violated Shabbat. The guy stole. The guy cheat. The guy was angry. The guy committed Avodah Zarah. How many sins did he commit just this week? Forget about the whole year. Just this week. How many sins did he commit? People think, no, no, I didn't I didn't worship any idols. Oh yeah, did you work overtime instead of go to Shul Torah? Yeah. Okay, that's Avodah Zarah. Why is Avodah Zarah? Because you went to the God of money instead of the God of Israel. You worked overtime to go work, 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 work. Great, as long as you're learning Torah. No Torah only work, that's Avodah Zarah. That's Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah doesn't have to be a statue. Avodah Zarah is something that takes you away from the God of Israel. That's Avodah Zarah. So already, first one, Rachem Aleinu, merciful on us. Why? You're idol worshiper. Why are you going to be merciful on us? We don't deserve it. Permit, we don't deserve it. Then we say, We don't have any other king. Two minutes ago you committed idol worship. Two minutes ago you were worshiping the stock market. Two minutes ago you were looking at the, the five bank accounts that you have. And the poor little guy that's looking for Tzedakah money for his of organization, for Yeshiva, he said, no, 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 I don't have any money. On your five screens you have five bank accounts. You're telling the guy that's looking to collect a few thousand dollars for his Yeshiva, I don't have any money. Times are rough. Your portfolio is 1.2 million. Your site play account on E-Trade is 55,000. You don't have any money. People complain about not having any money. It's not because they don't have any money. This generation doesn't even know what it means not to have any money. When someone says, I don't have, I don't, I don't have any money, that just means they don't have extra snacks for the kids in the house. When you look at the sages that wrote the holy books, when they said we don't have, that means the kids, the wife, the husband hasn't eaten in three days, four days, a week. No food, no fruit, no meat, months. They're wearing the same clothes for three years straight. This generation doesn't even know what no money means. The poorest person today is considered rich in comparison to our grandparents. People have side accounts, play money. 10, 15, 25, 30,000, they give you $50 staka. 
There's one guy I know, he always tells me about, oh yeah, I'm doing this deal, I'm doing that deal, I'm doing this deal, I'm doing that deal. Yeah, no, it was a small deal. I only put in 35000 into it. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Oh no, but this other deal, I'm going to put 75000 All right, good, good. No, but I gave Staka this month. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, I gave you. It's Busha for me. He gave me Staka. Gave to Bezat Hashem Staka. I don't remember it. I mean, if he is, I mean, the guy just told me about $100,000 worth of deals. And he gave me tzedakah also. I'm thinking, he gave Bezat Hashem tzedakah. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking, I have to do Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. I don't remember the tzedakah. I don't remember what he gave him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Ashrecha. Already, I said, Ashrecha, yeah, he gave tzedakah, he gave tzedakah. I go home, I look in the computer. What did do? say, what did he give me tzedakah? What did he give me tzedakah? He did $100,000 worth of deals. What did he give me tzedakah? What did he give Bezat Hashem tzedakah? What do you give? $75. $75 he gave Stakah. The guy just told me he did small deals for $25,000, for $50,000, for $100,000. He sends you $75. He thinks that's Stakah. So I say to myself, Baruch Hashem, now we know why I didn't remember it. Each lecture, I go to a lecture, I bring three, four hundred CDs for free. I give tzitziot for free. Each lecture, just to go to the lecture, costs three, four hundred dollars. Costs me three, four hundred dollars. To do, to give, to give the lecture, forget about what they give, they don't, they don't give not. Sometimes they give, sometimes not. Just to give the lecture, to attend, the gas, the time, the, C, the free CDs, the tzitziot, sometimes books, sometimes packages, at least three, four hundred dollars. Sometimes it could be $2,000 because people want Kiru packages. The guy says, no, I, I did $25,000 small deal. I gave Tzakado. I'm thinking, oh, probably has some other big, uh, I don't know, organization he gave to. He's like, no, no, I gave to you. What did you give to me? I look at the computer, he gave $75. He thinks this is Mamash. He thinks this is Tzakan. You have tens of thousands of dollars extra, and you can, and you think that lunch money is tzedakah, and you still have the audacity to say, "En lanu melechelata." You're the only king, Hashem. Is the only king. You're worshiping your money. You can't even see your own flaws. He continues, says, "Do it for yourself." Malkeno, asei imanu leman shemecha. Give us a deal for your own sake. Give us a good year, Shana Tova. Annul from all of us all the evil and harsh decrees. And then it says, Shlach Refuashlema. Give us refuah shlema, Hashem. We don't want any sicknesses. Hashem and people get diseases today. They don't get up. Someone can be perfectly healthy. Two minutes later, tut. Guy's sick. Five minutes later, five minutes early, he was planning a vacation. He goes to the doctor, comes out sick. Hashem what kind of diseases this world has? You hear these suffering, you see these, hear these stories, how much breaks your heart. We're saying, no, no, Hashem, don't bring those things. Not for us. Don't bring us those problems. Give us a fuash lema. Give us a 
Prevent any plagues. No big plagues, chas v'shalom. Kill millions of people. Not us, not us. Hashem. Why? Because you're the only God. Because you're the one. Forgive us from all of our avonot. Forgive us. Pardon our avonot. And then it gets better. I'm obviously skipping around a little bit. It says, inscribe us in a book of good life. Not just life, good life. We don't want to just have a life. We don't want to just live. We want to have a good one. Not just good life. I want to be in the same book as Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't want to just be like a starter kid. I don't want to just a starter. I don't want a rookie salary. I want veteran. Moshe Rabbeinu, me? Well, like this. I want to be next to Yaakov Avinu. Why? You're only God. Remember in the beginning, we said, you're only God. You're only God. So not only in the book of Tzadikim, but Besefer Yesharim Utmimim, of the upright and the perfect. What's Tmimim? Who's called Tamim in the Torah? Tamim Tiyem Hashem. Who was Tamim? Noach. Noach. Ish Tzadik Tamim. Meaning, someone that has enough merits to save the entire world. Put us in his book too. The whole world was destroyed except Noah. I want to be like him. But without doing what he did, without building an ark for 120 years, I just want to go in the bar. I want to go in the ark. Why? You're the only God. You're the only God. Also, Panasatova. What kind of life? What kind of life doesn't have Panasatova? We have Panasatova. The Chalkalatova. Not only a, good, uh, book, uh, a livelihood, but sustenance, meaning. We want money and we want it to be enough. Sefer Mechilau Slicha, the book of forgiveness and atonement, and so on and so forth. In so many words, we're saying we want a lot. We want to have the ability to see Mashiach, we say, and so on and so forth. Why? Starts in the beginning. Lemancha, Lemancha for you, Hashem, for you. So in reality, in reality, none of us deserve this. In reality. What gives us the chutzpah to ask for this is because aside from Hashem Itbarach being the melech, Melech, he also happens to be our Abba, our Father. So it doesn't necessarily need to make sense when you're asking from Abba. One time there was these little kids playing on the beach. They're all playing in sand. You know, sometimes in the ocean there's these big ships a few miles off the coast, but they're so big you could still see them. One of the kids stops playing with the sand. He gets a little uh, flag. And he goes like this. So one of the adults says, hey, hey, little boy, stop. No. What are you doing? You look silly. 
goes, no, no. And he continues. He ignores the guy. He goes, no, what are you doing? He goes, I'm saying hi. I'm waiting for the captain of the ship to wave back. He goes, no, little boy. Go go play with the sand. You look silly. It's a mushaf for your parents. It's embarrassment for your parents. Stop with the flag. Go play with the sand. He goes, no, no. He ignores him. He keeps saying, no, no, no. He goes, like this. He goes he's not going to see you. What are you Think the captain's gonna see you? You know how important the captain is. It's a multi it's five, six, seven hundred million dollars just for the first part of the ship. Another five hundred million dollars for the second part of the ship. The ship's a billion dollar ship. You think the captain that's managing a billion dollar ship has the time to go see you and wave to you, nonetheless? He goes yes, and he keeps going waving. Because what makes you think? What makes you think? What makes you think? You little boy, crazy little boy. What makes you think that the captain's gonna? care about you and see you and wave to you. He goes, because the captain's my father. He's my Abba. He goes, oh, if he's your Abba, yes, he's probably going to wave to you. If he's your Abba, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. He's probably looking for you. He's probably looking for you. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. He's looking for, he's looking for all of us. He's looking for you. But you have to do a little bit. You can't give Abba a cup of coffee with sand in it. At the very least, show some respect. Abba says, everything I give you, you really don't deserve. Bemet, Bemet, Tachles, you don't deserve. But you said it, do it for me. Okay, I'll listen to you. Let's do it for me. Let's, I'll play along with you. Let's me do it for me. Because what are you doing when you say, do it for me? You're saying that you're admitting that your whole life is to honor my name. Sanctify my name. Crown me. Make me your king aside from your father. Okay, let's start today. Start with, don't talk in shul. Start with, keep Shabbat. Start with, stop stealing. Stop, start with, stop desecrating my name. Stop with the Chilul Hashem. Stop with the Chilul Hashem. Stop it. Stop it with it. Stop. Not asking you to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Just stop with the Chilul Hashem. Because what happens is, sometimes we have people... You forget what Kaddish is. Kaddish is not in a language that most people understand. But it says, You're praising Hashem's name. In every single word, it's another adjective. Giving Hashem higher malchut, higher compliment, if you will. So in essence, the whole point of Kaddish is to sanctify Hashem's name as a group. Why is it? What's the point? It's the whole point of Minyan, by the way. If you're not going to say Kaddish, don't go to Beknesset. If you're going to talk to other people during Kaddish, don't go to Beknesset. Stay home. The only point to pray in Minyan is so you're able to be part of Kaddish. Why? It's to be able to sanctify Hashem's name together. What's the big deal? What's together? Why can't you do it by yourself? Le'avdil, le'avdil, very big difference. 
let's think about if there was some type of show or a concert or a uh, sports game. Is there a difference between watching it at home on the screen versus going to the stadium? Of course, night and day difference. Why? Because when you're at the stadium, when you're at the stadium, you're with 30, 40, 50,000 other people cheering for the winning team. Go, go, go. It's, it's, it's energy. The energy in the room actually influences the team. It influences the team. I can tell you as an athlete and as a fan in the past, when I was wasting my time going to some of these things, as an athlete, I can tell you, I used to play sports in If the crowd is cheering for you, it gives you extra adrenaline. All of a sudden, the broken hand doesn't hurt. All of a, all of a sudden, the, the eye that's falling out, you don't feel it. Why? Five seconds on the clock. Your eye's falling out, though. You don't notice. Yeah, but dude, you got to take care of that eye. No, what eye? What? what are you talking about? Wait, hey, ready? Go. You, just, you don't feel nothing. Why? The crowd is giving you adrenaline. Hey, hey, ooh, ah. <laughs> you, you, you don't know if you caught the ball, you caught the eye. Why? Because the crowd is cheering your name. Cheering your name. So being part of the group, some of these big speakers have these big speeches and people say oh yeah he's such a great speaker he's such a great speaker this so and so he's such I was so motivated by the speech the reality of it is even if a chimpanzee was on stage you'd also be motivated why because you're surrounded by 5 10 15,000 people they're all cheering yay they're all cheering the same thing it has nothing to do with the speaker. A chimpanzee can say, doo, 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 doo. everybody's cheering, yeah, you're going to get motivated. Eat banana. Everybody's going to eat banana all of a sudden. Even the guy's allergic to it. He's going to eat a banana and enjoy it. Why? It's 15,000 people cheering. It's the crowd. So the crowd has power. This is psychologically. In Judaism, in Torah life, even more so. We don't need 15,000 people. We need a minyan. We need 10 people. 10 kosher people. 10 people that keep Shabbat. 10 people that don't go against rabbis. 10 people that try their best to work on Yirat Shamayim, on Midot, to be kosher people. 10 people. We don't need 5,000. If we have 5,000, Ashrechem. If we have 10, great. 10 people in a room that are kosher Jews, you can say Kaddish. That has, aside from it having... The crowd we just discussed, it also has a spiritual power. We're allowed to say Kaddish. So now in a room where you're sanctifying Hashem's name, you're doing it as a group. You're doing it as a group. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You're all sanctified. You can't do it alone. You can't say Kaddish by yourself. You're not allowed. Now, if there's nine people, you're not allowed to say Kaddish. Eight people, you're not allowed to say Even it could be Rabbi Akiva and Moshe Rabbeinu in the room, they can't say Kaddish. Ten people has to be. So now imagine this. You finally get the opportunity to fulfill your purpose. The Gemara says in Chagigah, your purpose, sanctify Hashem's name. That's your purpose. This is one opportunity to sanctify His name. 
It's one opportunity. Say Kaddish. If you're not saying Kaddish, you say Amen. It's the same thing. Actually, there's a Chazal that says the one that says Amen is bigger than the one that actually says the Kaddish. It was worth it for Hashem to create the world a thousand times just for you to say Amen and Kaddish one time. So you finally are fulfilling your purpose or you have a chance. You finally are doing it with the people. You finally have the opportunity. What do you do instead? You look at your phone. Oh, wow. Microsoft is down today. Ah, oh, man. It's email. Oh. Kaddish. Melech HaKavod is here. Melech You finally have a chance to say Kaddish. You finally have a chance to say Hashem Barach. You're sanctifying His name. You're complimenting Him. Today you're going to rely on Him. Tomorrow you're going to rely on Him. What Shana you relied on Him. Yom Kippur you relied on Him. You say Lemancha Hashem. Lemancha. It's for you. It's for you. Okay. He says, okay, I'll play along. I'll play along. It's for me. It's for me. Okay, so you're agreeing that everything you do is for me. So why? Why? When finally... They're sanctifying my name. You're playing with your phone. Why is it that when they're finally sanctifying my name, why is it that you have to find somebody to talk to? They're sanctifying my name. You said that the only reason I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to put you in the same sefer as Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to give you wealth, I'm going to give you kids, I'm going to give you all these things you want, it's for me. Okay, so why is it that they're finally sanctifying my name? And you're desecrating it. Why? How is that fair? How is that fair? This is all year round. This, if anybody wants to take on something for themselves, you don't take on big things. Take small things you can handle. First, stop talking in shoes. From the minute you walk in to the minute you leave, it should only be prayer in your mouth. That's it. During Kaddish, before Kaddish, after Kaddish, the shul is not a social playground. Take something small. If you can't handle it, at the very least, at the very least, not talking during Kaddish. Don't talk during Kaddish. Because what happens with such people that say all these praises to Hashem, but in reality they don't mean it. Hashem says to the prophet, prophet Isaiah, In his lips, he gave me a lot of compliments, but his heart, very far from me. Lip service he paid. You know those people? Hamdanim. They give you a bunch of compliments while they're stabbing you. Give you a lot of compliments while they're trying to find a way of how can I cheat this guy? Oh yes, sir, yes, sir, sir. They call you sir, they call you rabbi, they call you mister, they call you kvod, they all these compliments they have while they're sharpening a knife in the back. Sir. Shem says, Don't call me sir, don't call me nothing. Just be honest. Be honest. So, the very least that each one of us can take on is being honest with ourselves where we stand. 
Shlomo HaMelech says, Sonet Tuchacha Yemut. Someone that hates rebuke dies. What does it mean? Why, every time, every time somebody doesn't like to hear his flaws, you're going to kill him? No, that's not what he's saying. See, someone doesn't like to hear that he's not perfect. Someone doesn't like to hear about his own flaws. He says he's considered dead in Hashem's eyes. Why? Because he'll never do tshuva. He'll never do tshuva. He'll never fix himself and do tshuva if he doesn't want to admit that there's a problem. If he thinks he's the perfect husband while his wife is considering suicide, we have a problem. If she thinks she's the perfect wife while the husband is cheating on her, we have a problem. It's obviously not always her fault that he's cheating. He could be just a filthy human being. But nothing happens for no reason. If everyone is blaming the teachers and not themselves as students, we have a problem. Everyone has some level of fault in every issue. So Shlomo Amelech is saying, if you don't want to hear about the truth of your own flaws, you don't want to look in the mirror yourself, you consider dead. Why? Because you consider rasha. And rasha, even metim. A rasha, even in, in life, even when they're living, they're still considered dead in Hashem's eyes. Why are they considered? They're living, they're very much alive, they're driving their Ferraris, they're driving their Bentleys. What do you mean they're dead? They're, they're living in this temporary world. But eternity, they'll never have. Why? Because they'll never do tshuva if they're not going to look at their problems. If you don't want to learn Musa, you don't want to learn Tochacha. Tochacha is Musa. You don't want to learn that? You don't want to fix yourself, learn about the flaws, learn about the things you're not so good in? You're never going to fix yourself. And if you're never going to fix yourself, like a grenade without the pin. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. The Mishnah in Avot expands on what we talked about yesterday. Rabbi Ishmael Omer, Omer, Alti Dan Yechidi, Shen Dan Yechidi Ela Echad, Val Tomar Kablu Dati, Shen Reshain Veloata. He used to say, Rabbi Ishmael used to say, Do not act as a judge alone. For no, no judge, uh, for, for none judges alone except one. And do not say, accept my view, for they are permitted, but not you. So Rabbi Ishmael says, don't be a judge alone, because the only one that's allowed and able to be a true judge by himself is Hashem Barach. The only one that can actually be a judge by himself, and for sure make the right decision, is Hashem. Even though, based on the if someone is considered a judicial expert, a mumcheh, Based on Allah, he's allowed to judge by himself if the parties agree. If the parties, the two sides agree, we're going to listen to what he says, you're allowed to judge by yourself. But, 
the uh, the sages, Rav, Rashi, Rabbeinu Yonah, and so on, are saying that this is something that someone that has Yirat Shamayim should stay away from. Stay away from being a judge by yourself unless there's no choice. Unless there's no choice, you should stay away from being a judge by yourself. Why? Because if anyone that knows the significance of being a judge, they would know that life and death depend on your judgment. It doesn't matter how big the judgment is. It doesn't matter what the case is. So you could think, for example, let's say, inheritance. Some people come to you, usually when there's problems, money's involved. Everyone's best friends until you put money between them. Oh, tzaddik, chadmat, all compliments. As soon as you put money between them, rasha, evil, amalek, erevra. What do you mean? Yesterday he told me tzaddik. What happened? Money came between. Money came between. All of a sudden, everyone's amalek. Yesterday, Moshe Rabbeinu's little brother. Today, amalek. How? What happened? $10,000. $10,000, he didn't pay on time, he didn't do this. Something happens, $5 sometimes. No, it's this, he owes me, how dare he not pay me back? Buddy, buddy, it's $5. Relax. No, it's not about the $5, it's about the kavod. Oh, it's even worse than the money then. So anytime there's problems, there's money. But, but... Everyone thinks that they know how to fix everything. I say, listen, listen, why don't you guys, you and you, Mr. A, Mr. B, come to me. I'll judge between you. I learned a few things. I know that I learned some Gemara, Baba Metziah, Baba Batra, Baba Kama. I know the Alachot about uh, business. Come to me, I'll be your Dayan. No, come on. Come to my house, come to my office, I'll help you guys out. Thinking it's no big deal. You don't realize this could be Mamash, life and death. Life and death. You're thinking it's just ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars. You don't think you don't realize it's a big deal. But what it could lead is a lot of things. First of all, if it's an issue of inheritance, and you judge the righteous wrong, and the wicked right, you judge them a uh, you know you give them the money instead of the other one. This could also lead to somebody not being able to pay for. Torah education, or them believing they can't afford to pay for Torah education, and the kids end up becoming goyim. So not only did this person start hating the Torah because he got such an unfavorable judgment, but his kids are not going to go to yeshiva now. Why? Because he now believes in his mind that he can't afford it. Because he didn't get the inheritance. He's not going to send the kids to yeshiva. All the kids end up being little goyim. And by the time they realize what it means, they're already, the kids themselves are already in their 30s and 40s, and they're very, very, very connected to their Goyish life. It's very hard to do tshuva. What happened? Because you judged irresponsibly by yourself. Every judgment could be life and death. Every judgment, the small ones, the big ones, every one of them. You have to understand that when it comes to possessions, comes to material, people are willing to kill. To kill on the smallest things. 
someone was uh, parking a car last week. He's parking a car in New York. And uh, when he was backing up the car, backing up the car, he was in the car with his wife. When he was backing up the car, he bumped a little bit, a little bit bumped. You know, one of those bumps that doesn't really do anything. Other than, it, you know, the car moves, but nothing actually happens. He bumped the car behind him when he backed up. And the car behind him happened to be an expensive car. I think it was like a Porsche or some other fancy schmancy car, whatever it was. He bumped the car. And the owner of that car happened to be standing on the sidewalk with his racquetball stick. And he saw the guy bumping his car. Okay. Obviously, if you are able to drive this car, that means you could afford it. That means that even if there is a fix to be made, you could afford it. It's not like it's your uh, treasure that your price present, you can't fix it. But no, 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 my friends. As soon as he saw that someone dared make a mistake, a human mistake, and bump his car a little bit, he went into a crazy, crazy insanity. Starts smashing the guy's window. The guy comes out to see what happened because it was such a small bump he didn't even feel it. He takes the rocket ball and smashes it on his head, opens his head, collapses, blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. Hospital. Had to put staples on his head. And if the Jew that was right there didn't stop the guy from hitting him again, he would have done it again. For what? For bumping a car. So don't think that any judgment is too big or too small. It mamash could mean life and death. Why? Because if you bother the kavod of someone that doesn't have even an ounce of Yirat Shemayim in his life, you bother his kavod a little bit, he won't kill you. That's why, that's why in the Gemara it actually specifically says, you're not allowed to be in a room alone with someone who doesn't have Yirat Shemayim. There's a room by yourself. You have one room. There's one person in there. He doesn't have Yirat Shemayim. You don't know him. He doesn't have Yirat Shemayim. You're not allowed to close the room and be alone by them. Why? He may kill you, Gemara says. Why is he going to kill me? We're just alone. We're both, I don't know, playing video games. No, 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 no. He may kill you. This fool that played video games, 15-year-old kid. Today's video games are much more advanced than when I was a kid. You're able to play video games and use the internet, and somebody else from a different part of the world can play with you, and they can play against each other. This little idiot 15-year-old kid was playing some game, and he lost. Some guy beat him somewhere else. He didn't like losing. So he started getting really, really upset and he decided to make a fake bomb threat. Make a fake bomb threat and say that this person has the bomb and he has hostages and this, this and this. And he called a SWAT team to go to the house, a real SWAT team to go to the house. The SWAT team came to the house. They don't know if it's real or not. 
They came to the house. The guy didn't even know what happened. They smashed down the door. The guy was trying to like defend himself, thinking somebody's attacking him. They killed him. The SWAT team, they're also protecting themselves. They don't know if he has a bomb or not. The SWAT team is beyond 911. It's not 911. It's, it's, it's the end. That's it. It's his danger. This is, it's war. There's a war secluded to this house, to this neighborhood, to this place. It's not like, oh no, there's a little mini, you know, uh, beating between two guys that, uh, no, no, no. It's war. SWAT team comes, it's war. This idiot called the SWAT team. The SWAT team comes in. The guy doesn't know that he's, he's kidding, playing video games. Playing video games, they break down the door. The guy's trying to defend himself, doesn't know what's happening here. They kill him. Why? Because the 15-year-old idiot didn't like losing in a game. So the judge judged him and said he has to spend life in prison. 15 years old. He has to spend the rest of his life in prison. If it was in the Torah, they would actually kill him, not prison which is more of what he deserves. But in the pictures that the media takes, they take a picture of the kid crying. They make you feel bad for this 15-year-old murderer. But who's really at fault beyond the 15-year-old? The parents. The parents that gave this kid zero education to think that he could even do such a thing. Act this way. Where they give people participation trophies. Just for coming. So the thought of losing is beyond him. What do you mean? My parents gave me participation trophies for being 50th place. How couldn't you possibly dare to beat me? I'm going to cause trouble for you. He thinks that real life is the video game. So he calls the SWAT team. Not realizing what can happen from the SWAT team. Not realizing it's no longer a video game. So when you judge by yourself, you're already not realizing that life and death are on the line. Because people are sometimes so weak. The smallest thing, the smallest thing could lead to murder. The smallest thing could lead to divorce. The smallest thing can change eternity. This is why you always have to look for at least two other judges. Be part of three. Three judges. Rav Huna, I said this last night in the Gemara, Masechet Sanhedrin, page 7b, says Rav Huna would make sure that every time he was a Dayan, every time he was a judge, he brought nine other people with him. Now this is a person that not only knows the Torah by heart, not only that we rely on his Torah until today, this is a person, if he's, he's named in the Gemara by name, meaning that he is one of the few that's able to revive the dead. Someone dies, he can say, no, no, I don't want you to die. Hashem, please bring back life to him. Hashem bring, listens to his prayer, he brings him back to life. So he himself was scared. He said, maybe I made a mistake, I'm still human. Maybe I make a mistake, so if I make a mistake, someone can die because of my mistake. 
Someone's eternity can change my mistake. Hashem has to punish me. So at least if there's a mistake, if I bring nine other people, the punishment is on all of us because all of us made the mistake, not just me. If all of them agreed with me, all ten of us agreed on this one thing and we're all wrong, at least the punishment, when it comes, will be divided among ten of us. Why? Because he was really scared of making the wrong decision and at the same time scared of being punished. We sometimes are not only not afraid of making the wrong decision, but we don't even think punishment exists. Sometimes people make comments on the videos we have online. Oh, you should be more positive. You should stop talking about punishment. I said, what do you want me to talk about? Care Bears? What would you like for me to talk about? This is what the Torah says. There's reward and there's punishment. 99% of rabbis talk about the reward. I'm the one guy who talks about punishment. What do you want for my life? You already have reward from everyone else. But it bothers them. Why does it bother them? Why does it bother people to such an extent that they have to make a comment? It's not like I talk about punishment all the time. We talk about both. There's reward, there's good, there's emunah, there's so on. But it bothers them. It bothers them to be reminded that they're sinners. It bothers them because it's real. And people don't want real. They want to live in an illusion. Why do people continue to follow Christianity or other forms of idolatry or other forms of kfirah, whether it be the idolatry of messianics, which is another form of, even though they call themselves messianic Jews, it's really Christianity or Catholicism, or, or Reform Judaism, or Open Orthodoxy Judaism, which is also Reform, or Conservative. Why? Why do these people continue to do it where deep down inside, in reality, they all know it's fake? In reality, they all know there's something. It's not exactly Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not what the book says. Everyone knows it's not what the book says. Why do they continue doing it? Why? Because it's convenient. It's a convenient lie to continue living because it doesn't obligate you. Being a Christian, being a Catholic, being a Reform, being a Conservative, being any or any of these things, you don't have to change. Don't do anything. Come, donate if you want. Because that's the least you can do. Go home, do whatever you want. Be a murderer, be a thief, be whatever. No problem. Nothing has, nothing changes. But you can feel religious. You get the religious feel. You don't have to do anything for it, but you get to feel like you are a religious person. Because you went to church with 20,000 people. And 20,000 people, or in some cases 50,000 people all cheered some idol's name so you get to feel religious. Even though in reality, everyone in the room knows you're a thief. Everyone in the room knows you don't follow anything good. You're just an evil person, but you showed up. You get to feel religious. You get to feel religious going to the reform shul and playing the piano on Yom Kippur when it's outright forbidden, 
in a Torah because you get to feel religious. You're saying, no, this is a mitzvah because we're sanctifying the holiday. What, what, for what? For, we're sanctifying for all of us. Yeah, but the holiday is not for all. It's, it, you're praising, you're supposed to be praise God. No, no, it's for us. It's for us. It's community. It's unity. Unity between what? You have goyim in the crowd. The rabbi is a, is a non-Jew. The rabbi is a non-Jew. And sometimes a non-Jew woman. What are you unifying exactly? We're unifying the nations. Okay, so why do you call yourself reformed Jews when half the crowd is not Jews, Bechlal? Why are you saying you're following the Torah when everything you do is against it? Because you get to feel religious. But in reality, it's nothing. So we're lying to ourselves. Because we're not even scared. Not only are we not scared of Hashem, we're not scared of any punishment. We're not scared of anything. We're not sc- we don't have any Yirat Shemaim. The people that have the most amount of Yirat Shemaim usually have nothing to worry about. The people that don't have Yirat Shemaim are the ones that have everything to worry about. Ravuna mentioned the Gemara by name, had nothing to worry about. He was Kodesh Elyon, his Kodesh Kodeshim. His skin was holy. Skin. His skin was holy. If he walked on sand, the sand would become holy. He was scared to make a bad decision. He had such Shirat Shemaim, he was scared to make a bad decision, so he said, when Hashem punishes me, because he didn't say, no, Hashem is going to let it go. If I did something wrong, Hashem will punish me. Why? He's the righteous judge. El Melech Neeman. When you say Amen, what does it mean, Amen? El Melech Neeman. Remember, we learned this last year. Hashem, the righteous judge. The righteous king. Meaning, if something happens, Hashem has to do something about it. You do good, you get reward. You do bad, you get punished. So Ravuna didn't have, no, no, no complaints against God. If I do wrong, Hashem has to punish me. But because I know I can't handle the punishment, let me at least share the judgment and the punishment with ten other people. He had such Yirat Shamayim, he was scared to make a bad decision. Sometimes you have such people that all day they make the bad decisions. All day. They don't stop making bad decisions. But they don't have a worry in the world. The Baal Shem Tov, Shalom, someone knocked, one of his students knocked on his door once. And uh, he said, who is it? It's Ani, Ani, me. So he said, who is it? Ani, again, he said, me, me. Like he's supposed to recognize his voice. He said, who is it? Ani, Ani, Ani. No, it says again, third time he says, me. He opens the door. Hey, hold on. I have a mission for you. Please go to this place and go to this wedding and attend this wedding. And in Hasidut, if the Rav says something, you do. You don't ask questions. In general, when someone has a real Rav, Rav says something, you do. doesn't have to make sense. The Baal Shem Tov, Kodesh Kodeshim, says go to some place that you don't even know the directions to. 
and attend this wedding, you go. Why? It doesn't make a difference. He said, go, I go. So the guy goes. He goes to this wedding, he attends the wedding. At the end of the wedding, the people in the wedding are saying, hey, the expensive uh, cup that we put the wine in, that's a family uh, tradition that's already been passed from generation to generation, it's missing. Who dared steal in the wedding? So they look around, they know it. This one's family member, this one's family member, this one's family member, this one's family member, this one's a friend, this one's a neighbor, this one. Oh, there's one stranger. Who are you? I'm uh, from this town, I'm the student of this. He goes, why, why, why are you, why are you here, why are you this, who, who brought you, who invited you? No, my Rav told me. He goes, oh, show us the, no, nothing, no proof, no nothing. So they say, ah, that's the thief. They start hitting him. He says, no, it's not me. They start hitting him again. No, but it's not me. Give us the cup. No, it's not me. After the third time they hit him, he says, no, it's not me. He said, okay, it's not him. They let him go. So he goes back to the rabbi. He says, for the rabbi, why you send me to this wedding? For kaparat avonot. I go there, they beat me up. He goes, yes, you have to do tshuva. He goes, for what? What did I do for the rabbi? He says, when you knocked on the door, you said, ani, ani, ani. Three times you said, me, me, me. You think too much of yourself to think that others are supposed to recognize who you are. So you have to say, Loani, 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 not me, not me, not me, three times to undo what you did. That's Omekadin. Baal Shem Tov knew the Omekadin, the depth of judgment. You thinking so much of yourself that you think that people should recognize your voice, should recognize your words, should recognize your face, should recognize your this. What makes you think you're so special? What makes you think you're so special? This gava leads to the next part of the Mishnah. The next part of the Mishnah says, "Shein dan yichidi ela echad ve'al tomar kablu de'ati shein reshain velo ata." So there's only one that can judge, meaning only Hashem Barach. But when you're so far away from this, what happens? You end up saying, it says, don't say, accept my view, for they are permitted by not you. It says, when someone only sees himself in the world, they don't see their own flaws, they also don't accept other people's reasoning, rationale, opinions, or anything else. It's like one of these people, they ask you a question. Hey, do you know this? But before you have time to answer the question, they already give you the answer. They're not really interested in your answer. They want to make sure that you know they know the answer. It's like one of these people ask you, how are you? But before you have time to respond, they already walked away. I used to have a boss like this. One of these companies I worked in when I was... 18, 19 years old, first started in the investment business, this guy would walk into the office. He was very, very proper. He's a very proper person. And he would walk into the office and he would tell, oh, hey, how are you? And, you know, and he'd pass by my desk. He goes, hey, how are you? And before I say, oh, good, whatever, you're already seven desks down. Why? Because he didn't really care how I am or how anyone is. It's just a formality. It's just to look good. It's all fake. And that's this world. You see a bunch of people that just, you know, formality. In the business world, it's very common. 
Some people say, oh, how are you? And they shake your hand while they're suing you. They're suing you. They want to kill you if they could, but they want to shake your hand in the court. It's all fake. Now, in the secular world, you can't expect much more. What's the sad part? And sometimes we see it in the Bet Knesset too. Sometimes we see it, we're going to Hashem, we're praising to Him. Lemancha Hashem, do it for you, do it for you, do it for you, while we're talking during tefillah. Do it for you, do it for you, Hashem, you're great, Hashem, you're great, Hashem, you're great, and you're looking at your phone. Oh, wow. Chicago Cubs are losing, I can't believe it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, for the Rabbi, amen, 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 yeah, amen, amen, yeah, amen, amen, amen. What amen? He's just saying, Dvar Torah, what amen? You don't even know what's going on. Amen, amen, amen. Well, we're just fulfilling our duties. Like it's homework. Like we're all kindergarten in sixth, or in sixth grade. We're just going to attend to make sure you don't miss. All you have to do to pass any grade from first to eighth, just attend. In public school, you don't have to be a genius. Just attend. Don't miss too many school, too many days. Just attend school, you'll find, they'll find a way to pass you. <coughs> Sometimes that's what we do. We just attend the Knesset. What I'm telling you today is don't attend the Knesset on Yom Kippur. Don't just attend. Go there and be there. Pray to Hashem. Don't just attend. It's not homework. You don't get a check mark for attending. The whole point is for you to do tshuva. Hashem doesn't care if you eat or you don't eat. Hashem doesn't care if you light the light or you don't light the light. Or you wear this shoe or you don't wear that shoe. The whole purpose of all of those things that are the tani, that cause anguish or suffering of some kind, where you're not wearing the leather shoes, or you're not wearing the fancy jewelry, or you're not eating the fancy food, or you're not eating at all, or you're not bathing, or you're not brushing your teeth. The whole point is to remove yourself from the mundane things that you're used to and leave yourself open for Hashem. Humbling yourself and all the things that you're used to, all the fancy life that you're used to, and go back to the days of Rav Huna. Where when they had to go to the bathroom, they had to walk a mile and a half out of the city. When they went to be, to, to learn Torah, they'd actually have to pay the yeshiva to attend. Not get five calls from the rabbi begging them to come to Shiur Torah. He's trying to bring you back Humble yourself. Why? Because the whole point of Yom Kippur is that it's time for you to do tshuva. And if you're going to say, Leman Cha Hashem, Leman Cha Hashem, for you, for you, for you, for you, okay, for you, I'll play along, Hashem says, I'll play along, I'll play along with this game of yours. At the very least, mean it. Do something for me. They say, Kaddish, listen to it. Stop playing with the phone. They say, Kaddish, say Amen at the right time, not ten minutes later. Because you're in the middle of a conversation. 
You're in a Bikneset, pray. You're outside of Bikneset, act appropriately. Don't be a faker. Work on your midot. Keep mitzvot. That's it. What is he asking you for? What is he asking you for so much? He's definitely not asking from you as much as you're asking from him. The amount of what we're asking from Hashem is drastically more than what he asks from us. Rabbi Yisrael Misalat in the sixth letter, he says, if someone actually understood the basic level of Yirat Shamayim, when you read some of the work of Rabbi Yisrael Misalat, I don't think there's one paragraph, one paragraph that he ever said or wrote, or someone wrote in his name, that doesn't have the word Yirat Shamayim in it. A paragraph. Not one paragraph of his entire life came out without the word Yirat Shamayim in it. Mamash. He says when someone understands the basic level of Yirat Shamayim, they know the very, very basic level, entry level, is fear of punishment. Be afraid of punishment. Now, we're not talking about Yirat Ahomimut, fear of the Almighty of you know being in awe of him, the high talk about low, low level. You're in first grade. First grade, teacher tells you, don't do this because God will be upset and punish you. You don't even know what that means, but you're afraid of that. That's what he means here. Rabbi Islam Salam says, lowest level, Yachamaim. If you just understood that, it's already good. Why it's already good? Why it's already a signal of Chokhmah, of, of wisdom. Yirat Hashem, Yirat Hashem, is Rashid Chokhmah Yirat Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Why? Why is Rabbi Israel Misalan? Why is Shlomo Melech? Why is David Melech? Why is Hashem Barach celebrating you being afraid of punishment? He writes in the sixth letter in Or Israel, he says, if you understand just the smallest level of punishment, smallest level of punishment, You'd understand that the anguish and any suffering you could potentially get, any inconvenience you could ever get, any difficulty you're enduring from doing the mitzvot, let's say you don't feel like doing tefillin. It's annoying to you. But it's five minutes of annoying. You don't feel like going to Biknesset. But it's... Half hour of annoying. You don't feel like keeping Shabbat. But it's one day, and in reality, it's not that bad. It's actually amazing when you think about it. But you don't like it. And you don't like this. And you don't like this. And you're only enjoying half the mitzvot. And you're only enjoying, you know, 10% of the half. And the, the, Let's say you don't enjoy anything. Let's just say you don't enjoy any mitzvot at all, he says. You don't enjoy anything. The amount of anguish, suffering, inconvenience, whatever you want to describe it as, all of it, package it all together, if you compare it to the little bit of suffering you get in Shemaim for not following them, all of a sudden, you start enjoying the mitzvot. All of a sudden, you say, oh, it's not so bad after all. The deal is actually a good deal. I really like feeling. Can I do it on both arms? Can I keep Shabbat seven days a week? 
he says if you under the lowest level of punishment you compare whatever you don't like about keeping mitzvot versus the punishment of what happens if you don't keep them. Lowest level. We're not talking about the highest. We're not talking about tzaddik. We're talking about not, lowest level. He says all of a sudden you realize it's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. When someone can't see other people, he doesn't care about other people's phobias. He doesn't care about other people's feelings. He doesn't care about other people's opinions. He only sees himself. Then even when he hears a valid opinion, a valid thought, a valid information, a valid answer, he says, no, 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 no. You don't know what you're talking about. You're making up stuff. You're making stuff up. You have to listen to my opinion. And that's what the Mishnah says. It says, not only is this person arrogant enough to judge for him, by himself, but if there's anyone that he says, okay, you know what? Okay, okay, fine, fine. Come judge next to me. Come judge next to me. But he's not saying come judge next to me because he values their opinion. He says come judge next to me just so it looks better for other people. To see there's more people, but in reality, he says, hey, guys, by the way, just sit quietly. Don't say anything. Just sit there and look pretty. Just sit there, don't say nothing. It's really my opinion. I'm the one that knows more than everybody here. Don't, don't say anything. Just, just wear the hat, put the beard on. Shh. No, no, but I have an opinion. I have the answer. I don't want to hear your opinion. I know, I know. What do you mean? But I know everything. I, I'm in. I know everything. They know everything. You ever, you ever talk to these people? You haven't finished the sentence. You're saying about, you want to say something to them. You just started the sentence, your midway sentence. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. What do you mean, I, know? You have, I, haven't, I haven't said anything to you? I know, I know, I, I know, I know. What do you, but I haven't said anything. I know, I know, I, I know what you're saying. But I haven't said anything. I know, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're saying. What am I saying? I know, don't worry, I know. <laughs> you, never, you never see those, I'm a lot of those people. I know, I know. I used to have these employees, young kids, old people, whatever they are, different ages. People have such low confidence that they think that not knowing is a flaw. In fact, not knowing is natural. And admitting that you don't know shows that you are special, shows that you're significant. Why? Because you have interest to learn. You're not, no one's going to teach you anything if you say you know everything. But these kids would tell me sometimes, I would start saying, oh, but you have to, oh, no, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. So me, you know, I'm a little bit spicy. I said, oh, okay, you know everything. Okay, go, good luck. Go. Go. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wait and collect the money they're going to make me. Go. And you see them go to their desk. They didn't expect that answer. They're sitting there, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the phone, if they're supposed to call somebody, if somebody calls them. There's a bunch of cards with names on them, they're not sure if they're friends, they're employees, they're who they are. They have no idea what to do. I'm like, go, go, you know everything, go. You see them 5, 10, 15 minutes, they don't know what to do. I'm like, what happened, you don't know? You said, you know, you know, you know. No, I didn't mean that. I, oh, okay, so just sit quiet, listen. Sometimes you have to be quiet and listen. Sometimes 
the best thing you can do, we learned in the previous Mishnah, the best thing that a person can do is be quiet. Why? Because at least people won't know how stupid you are. Because sometimes people don't know anything. Sometimes they're mama stupid. They don't know anything. You tell them some things about uh, the world. Like, oh, listen, you know, there's uh, global warming. There's this, there's this. It's like, oh, wow, you have nice shoes. You know what? It was better off you didn't say anything because it sounded like you understood what I was talking about. I was, hey, I was telling you. Sometimes better to be quiet because people think you're smart when you're quiet. But the thing is, though, is that people need to understand is that sometimes you have people that they say they, they're so, mamas, they're so arrogant that they really do believe they know everything. They really do believe that they know everything and they don't. As a matter of fact, most likely they know less than most people because they never let anybody else talk. There was one time a, a group of rabbis and there was one guy that was very arrogant, Gasruach, that every time there would be a meeting, he would just talk the whole time. He would never let anybody talk. And one of the Chachamim sat quiet, just waited for this thing to be over. And at one point, this arrogant person said, yes, I saw so-and-so and he said, ta 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 And now this big rabbi says, you're a liar! Liar! Everybody's shocked. He hasn't talked for two hours. And all of a sudden, he's not only saying, he's screaming, liar, liar to this guy. So that even the guy himself was like, became a little turtle. Like, what happened? Why call me a liar? He goes, because you're a liar. You didn't, Talked to him, and he didn't say anything. Because what do you mean? I, he did. There's no way that he said anything. Because why do you say that? Because because you never let anybody talk. How could he say anything to you? <laughs> you understand? So the. Important things that we need to know for Yom Kippur is that in reality, we're going to talk about, we're going to pray to Hashem and ask Him for forgiveness. We're going to ask Him for good things. We're going to ask Him for favorable judgment. We're going to ask Him for Panasatova, Refuashlema, help with our children, help with our marriages, help with our emunah, help with all of these different things. We're going to need a lot of help to survive this next year. We need a lot of help, a lot of siyati dishmaya from Hashem Barak. We need a lot of emunah. We're going to ask Hashem for emunah. Now, in the Torah, Hashem already gave us instructions of how to get to emunah. He gave us instructions. In the same Tehillim that I read to you before, David Melech told us that the ones that have emunah in Tehillim 115 verse 11 it says you who fear Hashem trust in Hashem 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 fearing Hashem leads to having emunah in Hashem where does he get it from David Melech? where does he get it from he gets it from Moshe Rabbeinu he gets it from Hashem Barach. In Parashat B'Shalach, 
There's a verse in there, in uh, chapter 14, verse 31, that is actually in our daily prayer every day. Our daily prayer every day. And it's the verse of what happened after Amisled crossed the Sea of Reeds. Hashem let them cross it and then collapsed the entire sea on the Egyptians and destroyed all of them. Except Paro, so Paro could actually see this, the destruction itself and the significance of Hashem Barach. So this verse is a verse that is right after all of this happened. After the ten plagues, after the slaves became the masters, after the masters became nothing, and so on and so forth. It says the following: Vayar Yisrael tayad gedola Asher asa Adonai b'Mitzrayim vayiru Am et Adonai vayaminu ba Adonai ube Moshe Avdo. Now we've talked about this verse many, many times, but there's one little tweak that we could add specifically for one of the things we can take as a Kabbalah, take as something that we take on ourselves this year. As part of our appeal process with Hashem Barach, it says, And Israel saw the great hand of Hashem that Hashem inflicted upon Egypt, and they feared Hashem, and they had faith in Hashem and in Moses' servant. So it says here that Ami Yisrael saw the Hashem's arm, how he destroyed the biggest, strongest, richest civilization in history. For who? For their servants, for their slaves. First and last time such a thing happened in history. Even the fairy tale stories that people make up don't have such a story. So, Amisrael sees the hand of God here. And they realize that he's real. They realize that he's their God. They realize he's their father. They realize that he's their king. And they immediately fear him. Why? Because they realize how much they depend on him. And the following uh, few words say, and they they feared Hashem, vayaminu Bashem. And they believed in Hashem. They had faith in him. What does it mean they had faith in him? The same exact thing that David Melech says. It says, if you want to get to Emunah, that all of these different rabbis and shurim and videos. Everyone talks about emunah, 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 emunah. Everybody needs to have emunah. Why don't you have emunah? Why don't you have emunah? Okay. Hashem gave you instructions of how to get it. Thinking you're just going to believe by making a mantra in your head. Like the goyim say in this foolish book called The Secret. They say if you keep saying the same thing over and over again, it happens. Or if you think good, it'll be good. It's not necessarily true. You think you can think good, but somebody can hit you in the head. And then it's not good. You can think good, but your boss doesn't think good. He's not having a good day. He fires you. That's not so good. <laughs> so... This, this false mentality of how thinking a certain way is going to lead to certain things is not exactly true. You have to know where it's coming from. Where the good is coming from. And realize that the good has conditions. 
if you're getting it, if you're getting good from Hashem Barach, and you're not doing good, that good that you're getting is actually a punishment. He's paying the last bill before he punishes you officially. He pays his haters cash to their face to destroy them. The few mitzvot they did, he pays them now. Why? To destroy them. They did a few mitzvot. So he pays them. A Ferrari, a house, a building, a family, a this and that. Why? Because I owe them a few things. But now after I finish paying them, that's it. The punishment begins. So if you're getting paid good, or what you think is good, and you're not doing good for the hand that's giving you good, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. If you're not getting good, and you're doing good, then you have to know that good's on its way. The good is just being accumulated, and Hashem is picking a specific perfect time to give it to you. But it's definitely going to come. It's one of the 13 principles of faith, is Hashem rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Anyone who doesn't believe that is a kufir Torah. You have to know. You do good, you get good. When? That's Hashem's business. He didn't say when you're going to get good. He's just saying you're going to get good. When? In this life and the next life. But how do you survive this entire journey? How do you have emunah in this entire journey? That it's all going to happen? This verse. This verse says, first realize the hand that's feed you. See the hand that's feeding you. You see the hand that's feeding you, immediately you're going to realize you're depending on His hand. That should lead you to fear Hashem. Have the lowest level of fear of Hashem. Start with that. Don't think that you're Avraham Avinu and you're, uh, you know, you're afraid of Hashem in the highest level. In reality, most people don't even know what that means. Loving Hashem is beyond our vocabulary. A lot of people tell me they love Hashem, they don't even know what Yerat Shemayim means. Bichal. People lie to themselves thinking they love God. It's a complete false mentality. And I'll tell you guys a chidush. I'll tell you guys a chidush that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, said in the Zohar, I learned this from Rabbi Ephraim, and he writes in the Zohar Kadosh. He says, Oilim Omar, Oilim Lo Omar. Woe to me if I say this, woe to me if I don't say this. This chidush is about to give Am Yisrael in the Zohar. He says, woe to me if I say it. Woe to me if I don't say it. This is the type of chidush that's a life changer. If I say it, then the Rishayim can learn certain things where they can make it look like they're cheating the system. If I don't say it, then the tzaddikim won't really know that they're not exactly at their full potential. That's how the chidush it is. What's the chidush? He says, in reality, someone that has the lowest level of Yirat Shemaim, lowest level of Yirat Shemaim, fear of punishment, pure fear of punishment only, it's not so good. It's not so good. But it's the beginning. You have to start there. And you always have to possess it even if you get to eventually to Avat Hashem. 
even if you get to eventually the highest level of Yirat Shemaim and eventually to love Hashem, you always have to possess the lowest level of Yirat Shemaim. Always. You're always going to have to be afraid of punishment. It doesn't matter if you're Avram Avinu, if you're Moshe Rabbeinu, if you're Betzalel, or if you're Yaron, or wherever you are. It doesn't make a difference. You're always going to have to possess fear of Hashem at the lowest level. Always. And only add to it over time. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says the following though. He says, but those that think that they could skip it and they could go directly to loving Hashem with no Yirat Shemaim, that love of Hashem will eventually lead all of them to become Kufrim. From their love of Hashem, from the love of Hashem that they think is love of Hashem, but that's absent Yirat Shemaim without even the lowest level of Yirat Shemaim, they think they love Hashem, well actually that theoretical, fake feeling of loving Hashem will actually lead them to become kofrim in Hashem. Why? Because it's not possible. It's not possible to love Hashem without fearing Him too. Not possible. So all of those people that say, no, 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 love Hashem, love Hashem, love Hashem, love Okay, fear Hashem first. There's very few people in this generation that even know what it means to love Hashem. Love Hashem means, love Hashem, I'll tell you what love Hashem means. Love Hashem means to such an extent, where Hashem Yilachem, Hashem Yilachem, somebody gets cancer, they say, Baruch Hashem, they start celebrating. That's love Hashem. Cancer, terminal cancer, Hashem Baruch says, you get terminal cancer. You have a week to live. And they start dancing in the street. Yay, Hashem! You have somebody like that in this generation? That's loving Hashem. Loving Hashem means like a Yov, a Yov, Job, says even if he were to destroy me, I'd still love to serve him. That's loving Hashem. You have somebody in this generation that we know of? The Gdolim, sure. But I'm talking about regular people. That's what loving Hashem is. Loving Hashem means that if he were to destroy you, you're still happy to serve him. You're still happy to sanctify his name. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, this fake love, this love that's absent of Yirat Shamaim, leads to kfira, leads to heresy. Because it's fake, it's a fake foundation. You want a real foundation? This is it right here. He says, first and foremost, realize the hand that feeds you. Second of all, learn basic level fear of Hashem and build on it. After you have basic level fear of Hashem, you're going to get the next step, you're going to start having emunah. That's how you get to emunah. Why? Because the emunah has to have good foundation. You can't have emunah during difficult times when your emunah has no foundation. It must have a solid foundation. So now... The one thing that all of us can take on, this Yom Kippur, we're saying to ourselves, Leman Hashem, Leman Hashem, for you, for you, Hashem, for you, Hashem, for you, Hashem, for you, Hashem. Let's not make a joke of the system. Let's not make a joke of Melech Kavod. Let's not make a joke of Hashem Barach and His Torah. There's two things we can do, all of us can do. Two very, very simple things. One, Attend with Knesset and imagine that Hashem is next to you. Not just in the Knesset. 
He's next to you, watching you. From now on, not just for Yom Kippur, from now on, period. Someone talks to you, you can't even, it's not even an option for you to talk to them. You could say this, you could point your finger, sorry, like, you know, not saying a word. But talking to them, even a small conversation, not even an option. Don't say, Your Honor Hashem, Your Honor Hashem, Your Honor Hashem, but in the meantime, you're chutzpan in front of him. That's one. Two, make this year a year where you actually honor Hashem. And the way you honor Him is by fearing Him. The way you honor Him is by having a munah in Him. So make this year a year where you study extra musar and you work on yourself to start understanding how important musar is to learn Yirat Shemaim, to learn Emunah, to really mamash understand the basic foundation of your relationship between Hashem and Because once you have a direction that you're going and Hashem sees you're trying to do your best, you're trying to go in the right direction, He does the rest for you. You can must go from zero to a million in one second. Hashem just wants you to open a small opening. A small opening, but that small opening has to be genuine. It can't be a fake opening. It can't be like one of these people that donates money and he does it really, really loud and really, really obnoxious, not because he cares about the Beknesset or he cares about the cause. He's donating because he cares about his kavod. He cares about what people think about him. He cares about... You know, people knowing that he has this, this, and that. Sometimes you have people, they do this. They try to make sure that whatever they donate, the world knows about it. And if they don't tell the world, at least they want to make sure that the person that got it knows where it came from. As if, I'm the hand that fed you. They don't realize that in reality, that is the lowest level of tzedakah, and to some extent it can actually be a sin. That tzedakah can actually turn into a sin. Why? Because while you're giving this hand, this person money, you're also embarrassing him. If you could avoid embarrassing him, why are you not avoiding it? Why are you reminding him that you're giving him? So it shows how far we are from the truth. So, in this Yom Kippur, it's time for us to start. Not saying become Moshe Rabbeinu. Not saying become a biakiva. Let's not exaggerate and think that we're more than what we really are. Let's start. It's time to start. We start with you go to Bikneset, be quiet. Honor the place. Two, I don't care if there's ten people or there's ten thousand people. Honor the place. Two, start a real connection, a real relationship with Hashem. That real relationship means you have to start working on fear of Hashem, which will lead you to believe in Hashem. When do you need to believe in Hashem? When there's a hurricane, when there's no money, when there's a divorce, when there's problems. That's when you believe in Hashem. Not when everything is wonderful and you're in the middle of a vacation on a beach. Believing, having a munah in Hashem when it's all dark. That's the test. That's the test. That's when you need to work on. But you're not going to get there if you don't have a real connection with Him. So when you pray, and you tell Hashem, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, remember, for you means 
you're going to look for a way to sanctify His name every day. Every day you're going to look for something to sanctify Hashem's name. That's the third and last thing you need to do. Every day you're going to look for a way to do Kiddush Hashem. How can I do Kiddush Hashem today? Can I share a Shiu Torah with somebody? Can I share a Shiu Torah in a group? Can I sponsor a CD? Can I arrange a lecture? Can I go to a Shiu myself? Can I study Hashem's Torah? What can I do today to sanctify His name? What can I do? Can I do something? Has to be something you can do. You're not a polar bear. You have to do something. You have a computer, press some buttons. Instead of pressing the buttons to play games, press some buttons to share some videos. You have money in your pocket, you have money in the banks. Do some, invest in some Torah. Invest in some tshuva. Don't act like you're a polar bear in the middle of, in, in, uh, the, of the Arctic over there and you're just swimming by yourself waiting for fish. Do something. And Bezat Hashem, we're going to have a Khatima Tova. We're really going to have an opportunity to sanctify Hashem's name and must fulfill what we're telling Him and not be liars in the face of Melech HaKavod. You know, that's Mamash. It's, 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 you have to think about this. You're In reality, you're asking for a bunch of things you don't deserve. But Hashem wants to give it to you. Why? Because He's Abba. He's Abba. He wants to give it to you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for Him to give it to you. It doesn't make sense for Him to give it to me. It doesn't make sense. But He's Abba. He loves you. He's your Father. He wants to give it to you. So at least don't be a liar. At least do something. Say, Abba, I not only give you the coffee, I put some sugar in it. Not sand. I went to the Beknesset and I actually listened to that fila. I just go there to socialize with my friends. I opened the book and actually read it. I didn't just open it and pretend like I read the Torah. I went on the internet for Kiddush Hashem purposes, to spread Torah, not to look at Shem uh, and whatever is on the internet today. Whatever I did, I looked for a way for, to connect to you. For whatever I did in my life, I looked for a way to sanctify your name. Why? Because on Rosh Hashanah, I depended on it. On Yom Kippur, I depended on it. What did I depend on it? I asked you for a bunch of things, knowing I really don't deserve it. But saying that we have a deal, it's really for you. Because if you just destroy me, if I get what I deserve, what do you win anyway? You're not going to have me to sanctify your name. So at least if you keep me here, I'll sanctify your name. That's the deal. That's the deal. That's what Lemancha means. To do all of this, we have to realize that the beginning of all of it is humbling ourselves. Can't be a judge for yourself. You have to, Mamash, make sure you follow the sages, you follow the Torah. You're not one arrogant person who thinks he knows everything. And Bezot Hashem, this Yom Kippur is going to be an opportunity for all of us. For all of us. Mamash, do tshuva. Seriously. If you're in the process of converting, pick up the pace. Let's go. Whatever you don't know, start learning. Whatever you're not doing, start doing it. If you're already a Jew, you already started your tshuva, whatever you're doing, you got to pick up the ante. If you've been keeping just Shabbat and kosher for the last year or two, 
It's time to add more things. If you're just learning Shulei Torah, time to add some books to it. Whatever it is, you got to pick up the ante. you got to pick it up. Why? Lemancha. For you, Hashem. you got to be honest. you got to be honest. 